Uh, I'm going to go ahead and read the scripture for today from 2 Corinthians 12, 6 through 10. I'll give you a second to get there in your Bibles or on your phones. It's going to be in the latter half of your Bible, um, kind of towards the back in the New Testament. All right. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of revelations, a thorn was given to me in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, and my power is made perfect in weakness." Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Please pray with me, and we'll get into it. Lord, thank you uh, very much for this day. Thank you for this place where we can come and worship you. We thank you for your word, and we ask that today, Lord, you would be gracious and kind to us in helping us uh, see you as more beautiful and believable than we did yesterday, and we ask these things in Jesus' name for his help, because we know that you listen because of all that he's done for us. Amen. Well, hello. Uh, Welcome to Central Presbyterian Church. My name is Tim Price. Uh, I am an RUF campus minister. That's a college ministry of the Presbyterian Church, and I uh, work at Washington University in St. Louis, Missouri. Um, And uh, I love working for RUF. Uh, Your pastor Jason actually used to work for RUF for a time. Um, And I used to be an intern for this college ministry here in New York. So I lived here for three years working for this college ministry. Uh, and I loved it. We love the city. So we uh, come back here pretty frequently. We still have plenty of good friends here, so we like to come and hang. Um, and I really loved living here. I loved my time here. I love the city. I love um, just sort of the intensity of it all. Uh, I loved uh, everything that I learned when I was here. It was my first job out of college. So I was learning a lot pretty fast and trying to grow up, and, and, and a lot of what I grew in was my ability to be productive, learn how to be a little bit more self-sufficient and independent. Because me, generally, as a human, I'm not the most high-functioning person, so a lot of times being here, I sort of felt like I didn't fit in. Uh, I sort of felt a bit of an outcast, because that's kind of the MO here, right, is self-sufficiency and independence. Lots of you, you came here uh, from all over the world uh, for theater or business or whatever it was uh, to achieve something great and to work very hard. And you have worked very, very hard to make something of yourself uh, in whatever avenue that is, right? And uh, you have really probably grown a lot in your independency your self-sufficiency, your ability to get things done because you kind of have to. It's in the culture, it's in the water that we swim in here. And so today, uh, as we're talking, you guys, I know you've been going through a summer series on what the life 
of a disciple of Jesus looks like and what are the marks of a disciple. And one of those marks uh, happens to be what we would call dependence upon the Lord. So, of course, today, in light of Independence Day, we're going to talk about dependence. That's one of the marks of the disciple. I know that's a little on the nose, but here we are. Um, Because a lot of us in this room, you have depended on the Lord, wholly and utterly upon him for your salvation. If you're in here, it's church on a Sunday morning. I'm not going to assume all of you are Christians, but many of you in here have at some point uh, thrown yourself in uh, and called yourself a Christian. Maybe you grew up in the church and you never knew a time where you didn't know Jesus. Maybe you had a crazy conversion story. Maybe just over time, uh, the claims of Christianity became more believable to you and probably somebody loved you into God's kingdom and you were convinced of it. Regardless of how this happened, at some point, you put your hope in Christ. And this came with a sense of utter dependence upon him for your salvation. You depended on the Lord. You looked to the cross of Jesus, and you saw, yes, I see his love poured out for me, and the debt of my sins paid for, and I'm casting myself into that. Or like Titus 3, 5 says in the Bible, he saved us, Jesus saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. And a lot of you are probably like, yes, uh, I believe that. I like that. I'm for that. Uh, I see his grace for me in salvation. It has changed me. But then after a while, or maybe immediately, at some point, you probably kind of went, now what? What do I do now? Uh, I love others. I obey. Sometimes that feels like really vague, right? And you don't really know what to do. We wonder, what do we do after we have depended on the Lord for salvation? Because a lot of us, we sort of fall into this thinking where we assume that the goal of the Christian life after we've become Christians is to get to a good enough place, morally or otherwise, where we can stop depending on the grace of the Lord. You want to get to a place where you no longer need Jesus. And that sounds like a good thing, right? And sometimes it it is. You might say things like, I don't want to be a burden to him. I want to help God spread his kingdom. And these are good things. And a lot of this, though, sometimes maybe comes from how we were raised, right? I behave, I'm self-sufficient, so I can be helpful and good and maybe just get out of the way or not be a burden or I can help with the younger kids or whatever it was that helped you grow in your um, self-sufficiency and your productivity. Uh, but sometimes we turn around and we, we start to treat God in the same way. And when we don't live up to our own standards, when we aren't as sufficient as we thought we were, we can maybe assume that God is mad at us, that he's disappointed in us, and we think maybe he's frowning at us because we continue to need to lean on his grace and to depend on him for all of life. But what we find in the Bible is something radically different from what we tend to tell ourselves and what most of the world would have us believe, that we are to depend entirely upon ourselves. And what we find actually in God's word is that growth in the Christian life is growth in dependence upon him. 
not independence away from him. It's dependence upon his grace uh, is where growth comes from. And so there's this quote that is in the handout from John Stott where he says, if dependence was appropriate for the God of the universe, it is certainly appropriate for us. And he's talking about how Jesus himself, his whole life depended upon God for everything. And if it was appropriate for him, it's certainly appropriate for us. So we're going to talk about what that looks like in the Christian life. And we'll find that the mercy and the grace of the Lord doesn't just stop at salvation. It doesn't just stop when you become a Christian, but continues throughout our lives and is something we can depend on uh, and, and is offered to us with the same force and veracity throughout our lives as it was from the start of our walk with Jesus. And we don't have to be ashamed to rely on it. And that's where our power to change comes from, from his mercy and his grace and a continual returning to the good news and the gospel of Jesus Christ. So growth in the Christian life is growing in dependence upon his grace, not independence away from it. And so the theme of the passage that we just read is sort of, my grace is sufficient for you. You've probably heard that verse. This is where change comes from. And today we're going to have two points uh, to look at what dependence in the Christian life of Jesus actually looks like. This is a very broad topic, and we could talk about this forever, but we've got two points today. We're going to look and see that we should depend on his grace over our own goodness, and to depend on his grace in our weakness. Depend on his grace over our own goodness and in our weakness. So let's look at the first point. Let's depend on God's grace over our own goodness. Um, so like I said, a lot of you have depended on God for salvation, and a lot of times things start going well, we start feeling like we're doing better and better, and very easily we begin to depend on ourselves. Now this can happen very easily, and Paul shows us that's pretty common in a couple of ways, and one of the ways we try to do that is to depend on our own goodness so that we can control our reputation and our circumstances. So look at what Paul says here in the text in regards to his own goodness. I think it's very helpful. He says in verse 6, if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. He's like, I could boast. I have a lot of these crazy revelations. I'm super spiritual. This is a guy who does his devotionals every morning, right? I'm really good. I'm very spiritual. And that's not a lie. And then in verse 6 still he says, but I refrain from boasting so that no one may think more of me then he sees or hears from me. You don't think more of me than you see or hear from me today, in the moment. Now, what matters to him is not all these great spiritual experiences he's had or his own goodness or who he thinks he is. Paul is much more concerned with how he treats others in the moment than he is with his own reputation. And I was thinking about this because a lot of us, what do we do... What do we run to? Where do we turn the moment we make a mistake? The moment we fail, where do we turn to? In our minds and in our hearts, usually we turn to our own goodness. That's usually the first place we go. We turn to the storehouse of our own goodness. And I know you know this feeling, right? We mess up, and we run to this storehouse of our own goodness to see what we've got to make up for it. And you say so you make a mistake and you begin to go through your mind and you start thinking, well, at least this. At least I have this to stand on. At least I did these good things. 
right? We start doing that in our mind to justify uh, our own goodness and to stand on it and to depend on it, really. But I think Paul's response to his own goodness is awesome because he's almost just like, well, who cares? And the same guy, Paul, in another letter that he wrote to a different church in Philippians, he says, I count all my goodness as loss or rubbish, depending on your translation, in comparison to knowing Jesus. So Paul's attitude towards his own goodness is saying that it's just not dependable. It doesn't do anything for me. It's not worth standing on, and I can't and won't stand on it for my reputation before you guys. So he says, I won't boast in them. I won't depend on them. Very often the first step in growing uh, in our dependence upon the Lord is to disregard our own goodness. I'm not saying don't strive and try to be good, but don't stand on your own goodness because as much of it as you have, we will find, as Paul says in this passage, a thorn in your side, something that's still there, some weakness that you will find in your life that cannot overcome your goodness or your circumstances. And a lot of you know this because a lot of you have been in situations where you've done everything right. And the outcome was still a failure. You've done everything right and the outcome was still a failure. Because as good as we can be in this life, we will never find ourselves without the need of dependence on God's mercy and his grace. And the good news is that when that happens to us, we can trust that he's not annoyed with us, which is where we tend to go. We start thinking, did I do something wrong? But what we find in this passage is that God says, my grace is sufficient for you. You don't have anything to stand on on your own, but with me you have my grace. To grow independence as God's disciples, we must disregard our own goodness. And you might be wondering, like, what does that actually look like in reality? What do I, like, what can I actually do? That's a great question, and I think the applications of that are pretty endless, but one of the biggest things I think that can come with this loosening of our grip of our own goodness, uh, what it actually can do for us is, well, it lets you say I'm sorry. It lets you say, I'm sorry. It lets you fail without your life or your reputation being threatened. And I like how Paul says, like, he's kind of basically saying, I have a lot to stand on, but I won't boast in it. Even though I have a lot I could boast in, I won't. And what you're going to get from me is what you see in here. And God's grace is sufficient for me. So for us to not stand on that and to trust in that, to loosen our grip a bit on that, I think what that can do for us is like when you're in a relationship with somebody, your spouse or a roommate or your friend, and you hurt them, you don't have to turn and run to your own goodness to try to justify yourself, which is so often what we do, right? It's so often the first place we do, and if you're wondering, do I trust in my own goodness, find yourself in an argument and ask yourself what you're doing. When, when you hurt somebody and, and somebody comes to you and confronts you, do you start to say, yeah, but look at all these other things I've done. You don't have a right to tell me that. Or do you turn around and say, yeah, but look at all these other ways you have failed. 
That may be a sign that you're looking to your own self to justify yourself, but the good news of the gospel is that we don't have to stand on our own goodness. And so you can be honest about your failures and in relationships and arguments, and it doesn't destroy you. You can just say, yeah, I'm sorry. What can I do about it? And it's not that big of a deal anymore because your reputation doesn't depend on it. And you can say along with Paul, you'll get what you hear and see from me. And that allows you to fail. It may not be good. What we're offered in the gospel is not a storehouse of our own goodness, but a different one, one of his goodness, one that is full of grace that is sufficient for us. And that's good news. This is the gospel that we're called to return to and depend on for our whole lives. Dependence on the Lord can relieve us from the anxiety of relying on our own goodness and allows us to do good without clinging to that goodness. And in the end, I think that's real freedom because it releases us from this desperate attempt to keep our reputation intact. And we can say along with Paul, you'll get what you see and hear from me. And so it's that return to the gospel where growth in the Christian life actually comes from. You see, the gospel was never meant to just be the entry point of Christianity, where you go, oh, I believe that Jesus died for my sins, uh, and now I need to start relying on myself and be good and help him and stop being so dependent on his grace. Uh, But it's actually the whole thing. And it's what we're called to return to over and over again, and that's where growth in the Christian life comes from. And it's good news, but it's not just uh, not trusting in our goodness, because uh, as you can probably guess, we also need His grace in our weakness. That might sound a little more palatable. Uh, We are to depend on God uh, over our own goodness, but also in our weakness. And this becomes very good news. This is our second point. Paul says, He has this thorn in his side. And the Greek word for that thorn is scallops, and it's actually only, this is the only place in the New Testament it's found, but we do have other places in like Homer and stuff where this word is actually used for like a stake that people were impaled on. Um, So it's not like a splinter. It's not just a nuisance is the point of that. Uh, It is, we don't know exactly what it is, but it's not just like a splinter, like I said. It's a big deal. And so Paul... Uh, who has all these good things that he could try to stand on, doesn't. He says, I won't boast in them. And then he says, I pleaded with God in verse 8, take this away from me. And how does God respond? He says, my grace is sufficient for you, and my power is made perfect in weakness. And so Paul, hearing that, responds, therefore I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness. So what's interesting here is how Paul actually uses God's grace. He uses God's grace here as a power to deal with life, and even in his own weakness, and says, I am content with weakness. Who here is content with their weakness? Nobody. Nobody wants to say, I am content with my weakness. We look at our weaknesses and we say, I need to fix those. Um, And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but Paul's allowed to boast in his weakness. He says, all my goodness, it's not enough to remove this thorn from my side. I cannot leverage my goodness against God to give me what I want. He begs God to take it away, and God returns Paul to that which Paul depended on 
from the conception of their relationship, which is his grace alone. And what Paul learns is contentment and humility. God's grace is sufficient for our weakness. And that's good news because our weakness is not sufficient to overcome God's grace. And I know that can sound strange and frustrating to people who are independent and self-sufficient and look at our weaknesses and say, those all need to be fixed, and I assume that that's what God wants for me. Surely, a lot of you in this room have asked God to remove maybe some hypothetical thorn from your life. You've prayed and you've asked him to take something away from you, maybe a circumstance, maybe a moral failure, and you've begged and you've begged God to take this away, and what you found was things got worse. And when you looked at your own self, you saw that you were worse than you thought you were. And you're wondering, you're like, what the heck? This is not how I thought this was supposed to go. I thought life and sanctification and growing and independence and God's grace was sort of maybe a steady incline where you get a little bit better as you pray and read your Bible. And your experience tells you something very different. Uh, if that's your experience, you are not alone. That is not a foreign experience. And uh, as I experienced this early on in my Christian life, I had uh, just entered college, and my, I, had a, I found this Christian ministry, and I had a lot of questions. I was a new Christian, and I kept asking God to grow and wondering, uh, like, why certain things weren't changing. And uh, my campus minister showed me this hymn that I hated, and it's by a guy named John Newton. You know John Newton because he wrote Amazing Grace. A great song that we all know and love and sing. But he also wrote this other song called I Asked the Lord. I Asked the Lord. I'm just going to read some of it. This is the same guy who wrote Amazing Grace. He says, I asked the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace. Might more of his salvation know and seek more earnestly his face. You've probably prayed something like that. And he says, "'Twas he who taught me thus to pray." And he, I trust, has answered prayer. But it has been in such a way as almost drove me to despair. I hoped that in some favored hour, at once he'd answer my request and by his love's constraining power, subdue my sins and give me rest. We've asked this. Instead of this, he made me feel the hidden evils of my heart and let the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part. Lord, why is this I trembling cried? Will thou pursue thy worm to death? Tis in this way the Lord replied, I answer prayer for grace and faith. There's more uh, to it, but you get the gist of it. And I used to hate that song because that's not how I wanted life to be. And now I love it because it actually gives me something to sing to my own heart when that's how I actually experience reality. And I'm glad that I have a song like this to sing. It reminds me that when I look at myself and I don't look the way that I think I should, and I can't control the world around me the way that I think I should, and it feels like I'm just getting knocked down and kicked while I'm down, it's not because God hates me. But it may be that God is not afraid to wound me, uh, to bring me closer to himself and to remove my own self-reliance and to show me again and again that my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. And in that, we're offered communion and fellowship with Jesus who knows what that's like. 
And he is gracious and reminds us that his grace is sufficient for us, even in our failures. And I had this pastor who used to say, if you're a Christian and you don't know that God's grace covers all, literally all of your failures and weaknesses in this life, then psychologically you're probably much worse off than a non-Christian. Because then every failure and every suffering, every trial becomes a double trial. Because not only are you going through something, but then you have to wonder if God hates you. And that always stuck with me. God is gracious. And the Lord says, my grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect in weakness. So what do we do with this? I like how Paul says in verse 9 that he boasts in his weakness. There's something actually practical that we can do. and That is to boast in our weakness. What does that actually mean? I think one way we could look at that And talk about boasting in our weakness. Maybe just another way to say that is to develop a life of repentance. And to not be ashamed that that might be something we have to do. And return to God's grace over and over again. To develop a life of repentance. And repentance, that word means to turn, right? To continue to return to God's grace. Growth in the Christian life is dependence upon His grace, not independence away from it. It's on His grace, which is sufficient. And I've seen this play out a lot in different ways. And one way I see this play out, especially with uh, my college students, is uh, someone will come to me and they'll say, hey, like I'm struggling with pornography. And we begin that conversation. And we start talking about it. um, And we continue to come back to it. And I'll have a student who will say, uh, like it's still here. I'm still struggling with it. And, And what I've noticed is that some students will make a habit of confession. They'll make a habit of returning to those they trust, whether it's me or a friend, Um, and confessing the failures in their life. And a lot of times, it's just this, like, one thing they think uh, they have to get rid of, right? And they have this one issue in their life. Say it's pornography. could be anything, right? And they keep coming, and they're like, here's this thing in my life, and I'm begging God to remove this from my life, and it's not happening. And so they think they're not growing. And what I notice is that over time, A lot of times, these students who are making a habit of returning to God's grace and living this life where they're depending on God in repentance is what branches off from that is humility, compassion for others who fail, love. Uh, What has happened is that through a life of repentance, they have become more like Jesus. And I'm not saying that if you have something in your life, a moral failure, a circumstance, that there's no hope of it going away. But what I want to ask is that if it doesn't go away, can you look at Jesus on the cross and believe that his grace is still sufficient for you? And can you believe that he is still at work in your life and making you like himself? That's good news in the gospel that God's grace is sufficient for us. And sometimes growth in the Christian life Sometimes it looks like we're getting worse. Growth in the Christian life is not growing in independence. And Paul shows us here that a life of dependence upon his grace, boasting in your weakness and rejoicing in his mercy is something we do to actually become more like Jesus. He says, my grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect in your weakness. My power is made perfect in your weakness, in our weakness, but also actually in his. Because God showed his power through the weakness of becoming flesh and blood like us. 
becoming a human and somebody who actually needed to, for his whole life, depend on God. He had to escape from the crowds. He had to go and pray and find himself on his knees and rely on God his whole life. And if he had to do that, we don't have to be ashamed to do that because he did that perfectly. In every way that we failed, Jesus did it perfectly. And so we don't have to be ashamed to rely on his grace because what his grace on the cross actually did for us was pay the price of our debt and remove our shame and our failures before God. And so instead we're invited to feast in the storehouse of God's grace for all of our lives. And we're going to take communion here in just a bit. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to feast on God's grace. That's what it is. So if you have doubt or fear or failure, that doesn't mean you can't go to the table. It means that you should and feast on the graciousness of God. That's what it's for, for our spiritual nourishment and growth in grace. There is an endless supply of that grace because the God of the universe took on our weakness and died in our place to pay for our failures. And today I just want to implore us to never stop relying on that. And to know that when we so often find ourselves trusting in our own goodness, throwing shame on ourselves because of our own weakness, that God's grace is sufficient for you. And that we can return to the gospel once again. Uh, Would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for all that you've done in Jesus. Thank you for your kindness towards us in Jesus. And that he would become a human like us and not count equality with you something to be grasped and instead lay down his life for people like us. It's really good news and we're grateful that your grace does not run out for us. We pray these things in Jesus' beautiful and powerful name. Uh, And we know that because of all he's done, he hears us. We thank you for that. Amen.